we pray with expectancy. We've already prayed it, and we pray it again. Come and speak to us. Transform us in the hearing of your word. We've read that we can be renewed in our mind by the word of God, and we ask that you would renew us in our minds, our thinkings, the attitudes of our hearts. We open ourselves up right now and say, you have permission and an invitation to come inside and mess with anything you want to. Mess with our hearts in a good way. Cleanse us, transform us. You know what? We want to be like Jesus, Lord. And so we're asking that you would do some of that. And we're asking that you would even speak to us each differently. By the power of your spirit, let there be an anointing of the presence of God on this gathering right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so right after Christmas, I think one of the first times I talked with you, um, you know this is the end of January? So we're way past Christmas, but we had Christmas last month around this time, about a month ago. It seems like years now, but it was just a month ago, and we... We reminded ourselves that during the Christmas season, we thought about the promise that God would send his son, and the prophet said he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So on that first Sunday that I spoke with you after that, I said, you know, there are things that we learned about Emmanuel being with us that we want to continue walking out. And some of you might remember, if you didn't hear that, it might be worth hearing, come and Go, go to the uh, gracetalks.org website and listen to that if you'd like to. It's a podcast. but It's worth hearing again, I think. Um, and we talked about what it's like walking with Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we told the story of the two disciples on the day of Jesus' resurrection. So just three days after, they watched their best friend, their leader, their teacher, their rabbi, be killed on a cross and be put in a tomb. Two of them were walking on Sunday to a place called Emmaus. They were depressed, discouraged, didn't know what they were going to do. All of their plans, all of their hopes, all of their dreams had been wiped out. Most of us can relate to experiences like that. Suddenly, Jesus himself, Emmanuel, was walking with him, with them, but they didn't recognize him. Somehow he masked what he looked like and... He began to talk with them, and, and some of the things we learned, and this is in, which might even be up there, things that we learned from last week. Sometimes we forget that Christmas Emmanuel experience, and we forget that God's walking with us, and we learned some things from those two disciples. And one of the things was that the enemy, Satan himself, will sometimes deceive us, that's his best weapon, he'll lie to us about our situation, giving us his interpretation of our situation, which usually sounds like God didn't fulfill his promise. You have been abandoned. You are all alone. You are vulnerable. You are hopeless. Those kind of thoughts. And if we listen to his lies, we will let him interpret our situation in light of his deception and will become our experience Many of you, when I talked that first time and spent more time in that, said, oh, yeah, that's totally me. I totally can relate to that. And then I said, but Emmanuel walking with us can be like the way Jesus was with them. And he reinterpreted their situation in light of the truth of God with us. And their experience switched to the reality 
of God with us. They said to each other later, weren't our hearts burning in us as he revealed truth to us? And he explained to them that all was not lost at all, but in actually, actuality, Jesus dying on a cross was part of the plan from the beginning. That it was not hopeless, it was the most hopeful thing that could have happened. And that he rose from the dead. And all, you know, it just made everything change, even though the situational facts didn't change, their experience of it did change in the light of the truth of Emmanuel with them. Ring a bell. Then the next time I talked with you, I felt like we should take it a little further. So Jesus said to those two people, along with the other disciples, that something else was going to happen. They would be soon baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we talked at that time about how John the Baptist, introducing Jesus, said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, um, reference to the Jewish Passover lamb. I watched the Prince of Egypt movie last night. So I'm thinking about as they put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their house so they wouldn't have the wrath of God come upon them. That's exactly what the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is. So John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and two, he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We read Jesus' words, and I put them in our notes for reminder, that he had said, recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 14, that he would send another counselor to be with them, one like himself, but another one, the Holy Spirit of God, that they knew him because he was with them, but he would be in them. And then we talked about how on that night that he, that he came back from the dead, the first day of the week after his resurrection the dead, Sunday afternoon walking with the, the guys to Emmaus, Sunday night back in the house with those guys and the other disciples, and he said, received the Spirit and breathed on him, but that wasn't all of it. Because another day, he was with them and said, you know what, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait, and I'm going to give you the fullness of what I've been promising. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed in. We talked about how immersion is like uh, the, the garment industry. If you wanted to dye a piece of fabric, the word that you would use in Greek is baptizo. Sounds like baptism. It's where we get the word. You take the cloth, put it in the dye, and now the cloth is in the dye, and the dye is in the cloth. And that's what it's like when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And so, so that was part two of walking with Emmanuel. And um, he, had, he had said in Acts 1, you just go wait, and you're going to receive this, and then you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now check it out. He says this when he meets with them on the mountain, recorded in Matthew 28, recorded in Acts 1. Read them at another time if you haven't read them. Here's the story. There's now only 11 of them. Judas has betrayed them, has betrayed Jesus, and then committed suicide. One of the twelve is gone. Peter's there. He also betrayed Jesus, and he's in a pretty weakened state. Not sure what's up. Matthew 28 says that those eleven people came to Jesus on the mountain, and it says this, some of them worshipped, and some of them still doubted. So he's got these 11 people, they're beat up, 11, just picture, just, you're just the 11. 
You don't know what you believe anymore. Some of you don't even believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says to you, now you go wait, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and you guys are going to take over the world. Right. Do you ever feel like that? You can relate to what they must have felt like. So then, several days later, they go and obey him. Not a lot of faith, probably. Some of them doubted. We just know that from the Bible. There they are waiting, and Acts chapter 2 happens. Suddenly, the room where they're seated is filled with the sound of a rushing wind. Listen to a hurricane force wind in your mind right now. Rushing wind. And suddenly they see tongues of fire resting on their heads. And suddenly and a group of people hear what's happening. They come and gather around and say, what's going on? Peter, who was wimpified just a little before, has like put on the Shazam suit. And he is, have you seen, you know that? Do you know that movie? It's coming out, but it was an old television show, and it's a Marvel. Is it Marvel? Who can help me with Shazam? DC? I apologize. That's the problem right there. It's DC. Thank you, comic book people. Let's just pause and go on a rabbit trail. So, I think the Shazam superhero works like this. This guy, who is a dweeb, gets the suit. He's a, he's a guy, he's a kid, he's a dweeb though, right? Okay. He's getting bullied. Oh, you're giving me more details than what? All I know is this. He puts on the suit and he doesn't even know how to use it and he says Shazam, right? Yeah, he gets chosen. Oh, that sounds like us. Uh-huh. Yeah, he says, so that's where I'm getting. He says Shazam. A few times, or one, and if you watch the television show, or DC, whatever, in the movie that's coming out, he says Shazam, and suddenly he's got superhero powers, but he can barely use them. Like, he goes flying, and he falls down and flies into buildings and stuff, but he's got the power when he's got the suit, but he doesn't know what he's doing, right? That's what the disciples are like, okay? So the Holy Spirit comes on him, Shazam. (laughs) Peter goes from whatever the guy's name is, now he's got the suit, he's got the power, clothed with the Holy Spirit. And he gets up and he tells them what just happened. He says, this is the promise that our fathers have believed in for centuries. The Father has poured out the Holy Spirit on us. That's what you're seeing. And this is a promise for all of us. Now you guys, you crucified Jesus. But God chose him and made him Lord, Messiah, the one who will judge the world someday, and if we will believe in him, we will have the experience that you just saw, and the fulfillment of the ages has come upon us, and now something happened that those 11 guys could have never dreamed of a few days before when they were on the mountain with Jesus, and he said, you guys, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be witnesses. He didn't tell him the whole story. Guess what? He doesn't usually tell us the whole story. He just says, do this, obey me, and watch what happens. Now, suddenly, those 11 guys have a community of 3,000 people baptized, filled with the Spirit. There's love. There's power. They're ready to go do the thing that God said to those 11 people would be done 
But now it's another step of walking with Emmanuel. Remember I said walking with Emmanuel. Think this. There's the opportunity that, oh, we don't have to be alone in our struggles. Emmanuel will walk with us. We can persevere in our trials. Here I'm kind of whining as I say this. And there's another way to look at this. You are commanded to walk with Emmanuel. Because yes, he'll be with you in, his tri- in your trials, and yes, he'll help you persevere. But he has a mission for the world, and he has a church for his mission, and you're it. So walk with Emmanuel. Walk with him in confidence that he's with you. Get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Seek him until you are endued with power. Wait with him. And then suddenly you'll find yourself in a new community of love and power that together is called to walk with Emmanuel and complete his mission. We better read the Bible. Acts 2.41, Peter, Shazam, speaks up, preaches, 3,000 people are there, and it says those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. He created the church in a moment, in a flash. God says, now it's time. I'm going to do something that they didn't know was going to happen. I'm going to create my church. Bam. 3,000. You 11 guys, I told you I'd send you. I've just given you an army. And now they are leading an army. Is that not amazing? If that doesn't stun you, it ought to stun you. It stuns me when I stop and think about what they went from on that mountaintop to this day just 40 days later, roughly. Paul, who was Saul the terrorizer, Saul the persecutor, becomes Paul the apostle. Most of you know the story in the book of Acts. He will become one to also help expand, plant, start, give birth to more churches like this one in Jerusalem all over the known world, eventually taking over basically the Roman Empire. He has a revelation of what this church is like. I want to pause and read a couple things that he said about this church, this new community of love and power to to sort of amp up our vision, our hope of the church. And then I'll go back to Acts that we just read and stop at some of the things we read and kind of get some more instruction from them. Sound like a good plan? What are you going to say? No, Ron. (laughs) Okay. Ephesians, a letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says to them, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. In other words, the people that had no relationship with God. If most of you would know by this point, It started with all Jewish people, the chosen people of God, who now are are followers of Messiah, many of them, thousands of them. And it spread to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. Paul says, it was grace given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You might stop and say that to yourself, unsearchable riches of Christ. Of Christ. Have ever thought about that? Unsearchable, some of your translations would say unfathomable, which means you can't get to the bottom of it. Paul said, I've been given the grace to tell the nations about Christ and the riches of who he is and what he accomplishes in the world. 
They're unsearchable, and that's what I'm teaching. You just never get to the bottom. You, get, you learn and you learn more. Infinite. I've been given this grace to teach them the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which is for ages hidden in God and now revealed. His intent was, are you with me? That was a lot of words. Focus back and hear these words. God's eternal intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Through him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That is a lot of words and a lot of oomph, a lot of meaning, a lot of shazams. Day of Pentecost comes. Cowards. Worshiping, waiting. Spirit of God falls. Suddenly, God gives birth to a church, 3,000 to start with, and says, it's my eternal purpose that I'm going to use you and the rest of the called out ones around the world, those who receive this salvation, I'm going to use you, I'm going to partner with you to reveal my wisdom to the entire cosmos, to the angels, to the demons, to the people. I'm going to use you. That's how important you are. This is how I, God, intend to accomplish my mission in the world. I will create a people who put their faith in me. I will put my spirit in them, and I will send them to go to anonymous meetings and <laughs> heal people. I will send them to go to work and love the unlovable. Sorry, but... Some of you work with the unlovable. I've heard your stories. That's why there's laughter in the room. I will send you to show them my ways by the way you live. And some of them, you will even open my book and read my words that are eternally true. And you also will reveal the riches, the unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Christ to people in word, in deed. In fact, I'm going to make some of you who will be disciples, if you choose to follow Jesus, you will begin to look like him and have his character and kindness and mercy and integrity. You'll be the kind of people who not only don't commit adultery, you don't even look lustfully at a woman. You're the kind of people who don't murder, you don't even think about angry, contemptible thoughts. You're the kind of people, you don't steal, you work with your hands so that you have something to give to those in need. And you'll change the world by how you live, what you say, and what you do. This is my plan. I'm calling you the church. And he birthed them that day, and it started with what he said to those 11 weak guys. And you and I are the heirs of that plan today. I better get back to my notes. What was I going to say? God's vision for his church is truly amazing chooses to reveal the wisdom of God to the entire cosmos through us. Wow. Another one. Right before that, Paul says, In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Right now, we have come together. We are a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Some of you may have already felt and experienced the very presence of the Spirit of God in this gathering. Walking with Emmanuel, 
You're called to walk with Emmanuel in a new community of love and power. You have the privilege of it and the calling to it. Today, after we leave here, you could go over to Home Depot or Lowe's or if there's a lumber yard, and you could look around and see all of the necessary pieces to build an entire house. What you won't see is a house. Where is he going with that? There's a lot of people who would like to put faith in Jesus and be like a piece of wood on shelf number 11 on row number 12. But they have no intention of being built together in a house where God lives by his spirit. Oh, now he's meddling. Walk with Emmanuel. He has a purpose for this planet. He gathered people to himself and put his spirit in them. And then he gathered them together and sent them out. And he created something called the church to reveal his wisdom to the entire cosmos and to be built together into a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Very important. He calls his church his own family, destined to be filled, this is a crazy phrase, filled with the fullness of God. Beginning in Ephesians, You've probably heard this passage. We've read it many times. Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family, the church is a building, the church is a family, his whole family, those that have gone before us that are now in heaven, like Sonny's wife, Vika, that we just prayed for, like Donald that we were celebrating his life yesterday, those who have gone before and those who are here now, we are the family of God, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. Who's you? His family. Oh, wait a second. You can have a whole bunch of people like you can have a whole bunch of lumber. You could go find some orphanages and find some living bodies scattered around the world. They're not a family. You can find a whole bunch of believers in Jesus scattered around the world that have decided not to be family. God has not called us to be orphans. God has called us to be family. He's called us to be family, and something happens in this family. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your, plural, inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, plural, together, through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together. Wait, you can't be rooted and established with love if you don't have anyone in relationship to love. You can't love solo. Love is expressed to someone else. Rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that after all those words that you may be filled You together, it's plural. You may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Remember, I'm talking about just some vision of what this thing called the church is that was planted, that was born on that day that Jesus fulfilled the promise of the outpoured Holy Spirit. Are you with me? This is step one. Come to Jesus, walk with Emmanuel. He's with you. 
You can persevere in your trials. You can persevere in your calling. Jesus is with you. You're never alone. He'll reinterpret your situation if you listen to him to show you what's really happening eternally as he's with you. Step two, you need to be filled with this spirit. You need to be baptized with this Holy Spirit so you are empowered to do what he's called us to do in the world. When he filled them with the Holy Spirit, the next thing he did was step three, he created a community of love and power. So Paul goes on and says it's beyond our imagination. Now to him who's able to do, here's some Paul excessive words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all, a lot of words, we can ask or imagine. How's your imagination? I don't know, I can imagine a lot. Can you imagine a lot? He can do more than we can imagine, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, According to his power, that's at work within me, no, within us, to him be glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. One more, Paul's writing to Timothy about the church and Timothy's leadership in a church, and he says the church is God's household, which is the church of the living God, watch this, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. I would think that the truth is the pillar and foundation of the church. But Paul says, no, no, Ron, you, you misunderstood. I've actually created, Jesus has created something called the church to be the pillar and foundation of his truth in the world today. Well, I thought the Bible was that. Well, apparently not. Apparently it's more than that. Apparently he has a living organism, a family, a building where he dwells by his spirit designed to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. So if we are not the pillar and foundation of the truth, I don't think it's his fault. (laughs) I think maybe we have stopped walking with him, so it's really easy. If you play Monopoly, you you get the community chess card that says, go to go, collect $200, and start again. So if you're not walking in truth, go to go, collect $200, and start again. (laughs) Repent and return to your first love. Church of Jesus Christ. Okay, back to, how are we doing? Good, we can do this. Acts 2, the thing we read before, I asked Matt to put it back up on the screen. Thank you, Matt, for all your work with the projector. We love Matt. Let's read this again, what it looked like when this church was born, and see if there's some things we can learn that we might be able to apply in our lives. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Every time I read that, I go, wow, I, I don't know what we would do if 3,000 people walked in here this week. Can you imagine? Suddenly need six services. Plant some churches. Wow. So, 3,000. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to devote. That is to, you see it in your notes. I put um, a definition for students of the Bible. Some of you don't know this. Let me just go on a rabbit trail, Kathleen, if I could. If you would like to study the Bible, one of the first tools you'll be given is something called a Strong's Concordance. Has anyone ever heard of that? You guys are good. Those of you that haven't, Uh, If you're old like me, you remember a day in your house you had a red book called Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and it was really big. The rest of you have an iPad that has it inside of it. 
And we used to have things called dictionaries, right? Well, Christians that want to study the Bible get a book called Strong's Concordance. You can get it electronically. What it is is a list of every single word in the Bible, where you can find it and what the word means. Very helpful. It's Strong's. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's somebody strong. Strong's Concordance. Probably for free on some website. Okay, that was my rabbit trail. Back to this. Strong's Concordance says that to devote is to be earnest towards, to persevere in, to be constantly diligent. So back up. They devoted themselves. My kid is devoted to Fortnite. Most of y'all are devoted to lunch. You give yourself for it. They, this church, had quite an experience. Let's see what they did and see if we can learn something. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or to growing in the knowledge of God by the Bible. We have the apostles' teaching. I'm reading much of it to you today. So you're doing good. You're devoted to apostles' teaching right now. They devoted themselves to growing in the knowledge of God in life, in love, in faith, in purity. Sounds like what I just said to you. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. The church devoted themselves to gathering together to the teaching of the Word of God. And, you're starting to get interested, it feels like. They devoted themselves to the fellowship Notice that it doesn't say they devoted themselves to fellowshipping, but to the fellowship, very particular words. Fellowship translates a Greek word koinonia, which has to do with a community that shares in life, in love, in sorrow, in joy, in need, in supply. They serve together, they're on mission together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I think that had something to do with their effect. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. What did they do? They had shared meals. You mean you you can actually grow in the purposes of God by sharing meals together? You betcha. Well, you're Italian. I had to say it, Daria. <laughs> but it's true. If you've ever been to an Italian's house, they bring out first the pasta, of course, and then all the food, and then the cappuccino at the end or the espresso with the anise. Mm, come on. You know, if you have, you know, rabbit trail, if you go to a traditional Italian's house for Thanksgiving, before the turkey ever comes out, you'll probably have a lasagna. Seriously. You have pasta. They devoted themselves to fellowship of breaking bread. Of course, coming together, sharing the intimacy of a meal is part of devoting yourself to the fellowship. That's what it said they did. Breaking bread in their homes. They generously cared for each other's needs. The text actually said that there was not one person needy among them. So-and-so couldn't pay their rent. So-and-so over here had an extra piece of land, and they went and sold it. Took the money, gave it to the apostles, who distributed the so-and-so over here, who paid their rent. Is that not remarkable? Gave generously. Oh, last week, Sharon said, so-and-so in India would like to do this work. 
would you like to help? And you guys went to the back and threw down $1,500. Good job. You did this. They, did, they gave generously, cared for each other. They met together frequently. How many of you shop at When I want something that I need, something breaks, I, I, this actually isn't a rabbit trail, Kathleen. This is, I want to say this. The, I just I walk over to my computer or pull out my phone, which is a computer. I find what I need on Amazon. I press buy, and I never see a person, and the thing that I need shows up in my front door the next day. And someone in the neighborhood might walk by and try to steal it, but I try to grab it fast. Um, that's a different story. That's the way our world works right now. Uh, people produce stuff, and I consume it. And I get it. And that mentality has become pandemic, if not epidemic, for the way the church is in the Western world. It says the church has something either that I can produce and they can get, or the church has something that I need and I can, and I can, I can receive. So maybe what I think I need is good teaching. I can go to YouTube or any podcast and get the world's best Bible teaching anywhere and never have to leave my computer. Surely that must be God's plan. Not? People call it a consumer mentality. And so the result is leaders of churches get together and think, how can we get people to come together? We'll put on a really good program which produces more consumerism, which says, you know, your church was nice, but the other church, they have a much better band, and they have laser lights. <laughs> and a fog machine. <laughs> and then the other church goes, well, they might have laser light and fog machine, but we have computerized laser light and fog machine that goes in rhythm to the music, and it's going to be better. And there are people that really think that's what I'm after. And, and there's a danger... There's nothing wrong with laser lights and fog machines, by the way. If you can use laser light and fog machines to glorify God in your worship, here's to you. Go get it. But if we have an attitude that we are producers, I have something to teach or to do, so I'm going to find a group of people I can show up and give it to. Or we're consumers. I want something, I'm going to find a place where I can show up and get it. Either way, without putting a value on the fellowship. We've missed the plan of walking with Emmanuel in a new community of love and power. Are you with me? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer, getting before God, asking Him for stuff. Isn't that what it is? Well, it is actually, and there's more. There's more. The, that sounded like that sounded so crass, Ron. There must be more. No, actually, prayer is mostly getting before God and asking Him for stuff. In the process, we get a hold of His heart and His will because His Spirit's in us, and we ask Him to do the very thing that He said He wanted to do anyway, but wanted to partner with us, so He won't do it until we ask Him, and then He does it, and we did it together. But in short word, asking. Have you, ever, have you ever had someone 
come up to you and ask you something and you just gave it to them because they asked for it? Have you ever seen someone approach you and think, oh no, they're going to ask me something and you go and hide? Because it's so hard to say no. Isn't it? So you go and hide because you don't want someone to ask you because there's power in asking. Did you know that Jesus said that's the way prayer works? He said, I'm not like, like the neighbor that doesn't want you to ask because I'm going to hide because I'm going to have to say yes. I'm like the neighbor that has what you need and I'm going to say yes, so come and ask. And then he gave all sorts of parables. He said, just keep on asking. If you don't get the answer, keep asking. Keep going for it and you'll get it. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves. See, now, remember this whole story we just told. The disciples, 11, wounded, battered. You guys are going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to take this message, this truth, and this experience of my kingdom to the ends of the world. They get together and pray. There's actually more than those 11 at that prayer meeting, by the way. There's 120 gathered. You read in Acts chapter 1. They're praying. The Holy Spirit does show up. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're empowered. But something altogether other than what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. Suddenly there's a church of 3,000. A few chapters later, there's a church of 5,000. A few chapters later, persecution hits, and they get scattered around the world because they're running for their lives, hiding, thinking, oh, Satan could say, see, it's hopeless. Jesus lied to you. It's not going to work out. But walking with Emmanuel, he reinterprets their situation so that they experience the kingdom of God and they find out that God used the persecution to scatter them to plant churches all over the world. These guys are like weeds in the wind. They blow to a new place and they reproduce churches who love each other who are called to manifest the wisdom of God to the cosmos, Ephesians 3, who are the pillar and foundation of truth, is that first or second Timothy we read, who are a dwelling built together where God dwells by his spirit and when they come together they actually experience the presence of God. So they met together in houses, they met together in the temple, big meetings, small meetings. They broke bread together in their houses. They had fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. And God changed the entire world. And we still have some world to change. I guess I'm calling you to devote, I'm calling me and you, to devote ourselves to the same things and see if we might get the same results. And don't believe the lie that you gathering together isn't important. It's extremely important. Something happens when we are together in our homes, worshiping God and studying the apostles' doctrines and praying. Something happens when we gather together in buildings like this, whether there's a hundred of us or like there's some churches around this county. Today there's 5,000 together, and it's glorious and it's wonderful. Either way, large group, small group, together something happens the pieces turn into a building of living stones where God has chosen to dwell by his spirit in order to fulfill his purposes in our world. God has a mission for the world, the advancement of his rule and reign, the kingdom of God, and he has a people for his mission, and you and I are part of that people.